0: In the world of news and politics and social and environmental justice, we focus disproportionately on what is not working. From a deeply human perspective, there's a film available that brings that balance back by focusing on the beauty of this planet and the blessing to be alive. It's called Love Thy Nature. And that's our topic today, Love Thy Nature, a beautiful reminder of the gift of life. Here on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. Helge Helberg. We're speaking with the filmmaker of Love Thy Nature again today, as she was a guest of this show a little over a year ago when we first heard about this documentary. Now it's finally available in its final cut version, and watching it again, it was an incredibly powerful experience to know why we are doing this show, what it means to be alive, our responsibility for one another and for this one planet that we all call home. All that we are working so hard for, the entire environmental movement, all the species that deserve protecting life itself. Love thy nature, a beautiful reminder of the gift of life. All that and more coming up in just a minute when we speak with the filmmaker here on An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg, and this show is brought to you by Equal Exchange a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas, and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at EqualExchange.coop. That's EqualExchange.coop. And by Adelie offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Each garment reduces our eco-footprint by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Adderly, making sustainability fashionable and fashion sustainable. For more information, Adderly.co. That's U-T-T-E-R-L-Y dot C-O you We're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. We're speaking today with the filmmaker of Love Thy Nature, Sylvie Rokop. She's the director, writer, and cinematographer of that movie, lovethynature.com, the website. A beautiful reminder of the gift of life. We had her on the show a little over a year ago, and she's back because the film is now available in its final cut version. And Sylvie is joining us today from Los Angeles, California. Sylvie, do we have you on the line?
1: Hello, Helgi. Yes, I'm on the <laughs> line. It's great to
0: be back. Yes, yeah, so great to be back. It's been a little over a year, or when when were you on the show? Do you remember? Actually,
1: it's been, it was two years ago.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, the, the film has stuck well in my memory. I talked with you last week in preparations, and I was sharing that in this focus of our work, of caring for the planet, on the environmental movement, everything that we are fighting for, we often disproportionately focus on what's not working. By by virtue, we have to. We we have to tackle the challenges. And we forget to reset and sit down and take in and allow the view that you are giving us with Love Thy Nature of what we are actually fighting for, what we're actually protecting. It is so stunningly beautiful, that film, and it's such a breath of... Coming back to, yes, this is why, it's really, it's the deepest core motivation that you're touching with that. It's an homage on the beauty, on species, on culture. Can you talk about what motivated you? Was that the motivation? Were you seeing that we are fo- too focused on the problems rather than the beauty of it?
1: Well, you know, it's actually, it's a, um, I'll make a very long story short, but I was, very lucky in that I grew up in Rio de Janeiro. It's a city that's embedded in the Atlantic forest. And I was really, nature was my backyard. I mean, we would go to beaches and to mountains. And my parents being nature lovers, we had an amazing experience connecting with nature. And as a young adult, I just got heartbroken to realize how deeply we were destroying nature. And I really got to realize that it's like if everyone had a sense of connection Mm -hmm. with nature like I did, where nature is my friend, it's my healer, it's my place of wonder, of restoration, of beauty, I felt like we just would never destroy it at this level as a civilization. And so, you know, becoming a filmmaker and going through years of realizing that our separation from nature is just growing deeper and deeper, it was clear to me that I really wanted to make a film that was more than just showing the beauty of nature, but I wanted to make a film that was the story of our connection with the natural world and how we have gone to a place of feeling so disconnected that we are actually rupturing within ourselves, this separation is actually hurting us at a very deep Mm -hmm. level, at a personal level as well as a societal level, because if we have no connection with nature, look what's happening. And so my intention with the film was really to uh, allow people to understand how have we disconnected and what is the story of this disconnection, and also realize in a very inspiring way, because that's why we made the film really beautiful and exquisite is that we wanted to give people that sense of like, wow, this is my world. This is me. I belong to this world. I am a product of it. I'm a, you know, and and really feel that this sense of separation only hurts us at a very deep level.
0: So is your intention to remind us to that degree so that, that we are moved forward and motivated by a different core memory or are you using this film, and we, we will talk about more about the film itself, of course, but are you, do you want to use this film to send to corporations that don't have an environmental record that they proudly can speak of? What's your core intention with so it?
1: So it's actually, there, there are two goals. One of them is, first, I, I, I really believe that it's like we only protect what we love, and I feel that it's really important to offer the film... Really, my intention is to have the film offer people the realization of how nature-deprived mm-hmm. they are, we are, right? It, it's with everybody. So I want it to be a very intimate kind of a perspective. And a lot of people get very moved by the film because they realize, oh my gosh, how far have I separated and how much do I miss it? Or how much do I not know anything about it for people who have never spent time in nature, right? Right. So it's like they're realizing, my goodness, what am I missing out? What have I been missing out? And the second part of this is, of course, by awakening this realization and by moving and inspiring people across the board, whether they're in corporations, where whether they're in government institutions, whether they're politicians and our teachers or architects or engineers, to realize that it's like this is... Something that's universal. Mm-hmm. There is no way that we can actually either survive or be healthy by being completely separated from what sustains us, from what nurtures us, and from what restores us.
0: Yeah, so and there's really, it's twofold. There's an incredible timeline in the film where, for three point five four billion years since. Uh, since Earth came into being, and then the first um, one-cell organisms, bacteria, and then water life, and then from there, <laughs> can you walk us through the the sure. big steps to and what the f- funny and surprising final <laughs> human Earth time is? <laughs> I know the first time I <laughs> heard so that shocking. story it was
1: actually told by Dana Baumeister, who was a co-founder of Biomimicry three point eight, mm-hmm. and she. She was presenting this at a workshop, and I immediately thought to myself, this has to be on the film. (laughs) So we call the scene Earth in a Year. So basically, if you were to take the the, the life of planet Earth, like planet Earth has existed for 4.5 billion years. If we take those 4.5 billion years and we compress them into one year so that Earth was born on January 1st, right after midnight... And we are here today on December 31st, right before midnight. So all of these groups of organisms, I mean, life showed up on the planet 3.8 billion years ago, so it was only like on February 23rd. And then all these other groups of species kept showing up on this timeline of planet Earth. And so, like, the dinosaurs went extinct on December 25th, on Christmas Day. And when it comes to Homo sapiens, which is our species we only showed up 23 minutes ago and when we think of our civilization as we know it right the way that we think our media our technologies the last 200 years are just one second of this entire year of planet earth so it really shows us how young we are as a species and the monstrosity how much how huge it is the potential us to learn the workings of how the planet and how each species and ecosystems work.
0: Yeah, so 23 minutes of human life as we know it, meaning right. 23 minutes, th- that means that 364 days, 11 hours and 40 minutes, uh, there, there was no human. So it's it's that brain trust of 4 billion years of tried and true solutions that we are now destroying and that we could be looking at as a resource. And there are several examples that we have covered actually in, in, in this show uh, as well as in your movie of, of what that adoption can look like. Can you touch on a, on a couple in terms of biomimicry?
1: Sure. And biomimicry really, it's, the definition of it is like it's the conscious emulation of nature's genius. And basically what it means is that nature can teach us what we're desperately trying to learn, which is how to be completely integrated with the rest of the world and how have our technologies be as sophisticated and efficient as the technologies of nature and how our social systems and our political systems could be as integrated as ecosystems. And, you know, I know this might sound brainy, brainy, but let me just give you an example. Like if you look at like how we create color, and there's a scene of the film that really explores this. We usually use toxic dyes on our fabrics, on our paint, and basically the, the creation of color is by the means of creating pigment, which is highly toxic. And scientists have discovered that the Morpho butterfly is this gorgeous, beautiful, very bright blue color butterfly that is typical of South America. And that brilliant, bright blue color actually does not come from pigment. It actually comes from like the nanostructures of, of these wings. And it's the way that the light refracts on these wings that create the illusion of color. And so, you know, scientists now innovators have created cosmetics and paint without the, needs, the need for toxic dyes just by mimicking the workings <laughs> of this butterfly. Another example that's a favorite of mine is the namid Beetle. The Namib beetle lives in the Namib desert in Namibia, and there's no water there. So this little beetle has a technology that's extraordinary. Basically, when fog comes down on the dunes in the morning, this beetle opens up its wings and puts itself in a little yogic position with its butt sticking up, and they're like biophilic little elements on its wings. And when the wings open up, it actually captures the fog and transforms the fog into droplets of water, and bloop, it goes into its mouth, and it has a drink of water. So there's now a company that's actually mimicking this beetle to solve the lack of water in certain countries that are drought-ridden, and they're creating basically ways to capture water just from fog in the desert. So those are just two examples of technologies that we're mimicking from nature. There are applications in the medical field, in the architectural field. I mean, it's like... The examples online are extraordinary when you start reading this
0: stuff. Yeah, and the, the means to apply it then are as simple once we understand it as nature itself, right, and with the water conservation and collecting fog. I mean, in a way, the Irish have done that with sea fog and netting that is put upright for hundreds or thousands of years. And But now we're building mm-hmm. in Africa a group of scientists these really inexpensive bamboo huts buildings that are, are really just collecting the, the morning dew Enough to create real droplets, and with that a few gallons of water for yeah. next to no money, no technology, no drilling. so right. it's fascinating, fascinating to to see how nature had four billion years to figure this out and has right. figured it out, and we yeah. had this push of the last twenty three minutes or the last second really with technology itself yeah. to to compensate for that or to to uh, come up with our own version of learning. And finally, now your movie clearly shows that there is a marriage between the two, that it's not against technology or about technology, but it's about our attitude or stance on how much we allow to look at nature's wisdom and allow that in.
1: And the interesting thing, Helgi, is that when you think of like how much our technologies could be actually mimicking the technologies of nature, we could now have you know move from the industrial revolution or the digital revolution into the biological revolution which is the step that we need to take as a civilization to be able to integrate and become you know become a species that's adapted to its environment basically because that's what's going to make us you know join the winning team of the species that did not go extinct right because There's only two ways a species can go extinct. One is lack of luck, like the dinosaurs. You know, it was a time they were hit by an asteroid. And the second one is for species who can't adapt to their uh, environment, basically. And so uh, we want to be on the winning team. (laughs) So we want to make sure that we, we do... We use the genius of nature and we align ourselves with the workings of nature.
0: I want you to walk us through the movie in a minute, but I, I actually, this is really the core message for me. If we don't adopt, right, if and you're, you're touching on that in the movie, how, how every species has adopted or didn't make it. So what's at stake? What have you, after filming this now and looking at it with some distance and... What's the underlying warning or message here, the opportunity as well as the warning that, you, that you know, you're giving us?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, ultimately it's about awakening in our minds and in our hearts the realization that we're not separate and that we belong to something that is so much bigger than ourselves and unlike our ways of being in the world in which we act as if nothing else really matters in terms of like you know all these other places and beings don't have any importance but we what the what i'm hoping the film evokes in people is that realization that everything is important from you know the little bugs all the way to the big predators and the mountains and the desert and everything has a role to play in keeping our planetary systems functioning and our ecosystems functioning. And, you know, one of the things, <laughs> I'm giving some of the film away, but one of the questions that we ask in the film is like, if biologists really are correct, and I believe that they are, in that every species does have a role to play in their ecosystems. I mean, it's extraordinary when you look very closely at how species integrate and how, everything that's left over from the remains of a species, actually feeding another species to the point of, you know, f- even trees that we're realizing are being fed by the remains of, of fish by the river bank. And these very trees, when they're healthy, they actually, their branches and their little uh, leaves fall on the river and they create nurseries for the baby fish. I mean, it's all sort of circular and interconnected and, if we stop and we wonder to ourselves, what is the role? What is my role? What is your role? What is the role of, of the human species? And I mean, it's tr- extraordinary to think that because then we get to a place of stopping the blame to ourselves and we move in a direction of being really inspired. It's like, And wow. I, I
0: love the question in itself, but do you have, do you have an answer?
1: I think it's a a very complex answer. I mean, I...
0: I I, I mean, I talk about that with my male friends, right? There's nothing coincidental in biology or in ecology. Mm -hmm. And we have, out of 7 billion people on this planet, 7 billion humans, we have 3.5 billion men Mm -hmm. and 3.5 billion women there's genetically no reason why there are three and a half billion men. You could have enough of a healthy genetic pool with perhaps a billion men that would have offspring with three and a half billion women. That is so much diversity already. So mm-hmm. why is it throughout history roughly fifty percent? Interesting questions to hold, right? If there's right. if in ecology nothing is coincidental, then mm-hmm. what's the reason for it? We certainly mm-hmm. haven't figured that out yet.
1: No. And I think that ultimately the the role that we play is very personal to every human being. I mean, I you know, in the film I've incorporated some of the uh interviews that most resonated with with my way of thinking. I really do think that our contribution is in the sense of creativity and innovation and wonder. I mean, here the universe has put this amazing species that we are. And we have the ability to almost mirror back to the universe its own magnificence and its own beauty and its own intelligence. And so I think that certainly there are many, many roles that we play. And again, each individual might think of their purpose and their role on this planet as being different from one another. But ultimately, I do think that we have this amazing gift of being conscious.
0: And we want to go through the film with you consciously. That's Sylvie Rokob, the director, writer, and cinematographer of Love Thy Nature, an amazingly beautiful film and actually a beautiful reminder of the gift of life, lovethynature.com, the website. Uh, Sylvie stay with us we'll take a quick break to honor our underwriters and we'll sure. be right back with so much more and I would love for you to walk us through the film of what people can experience when they watch it at film festivals now everywhere Great. again Sylvie Rokop lovethynature.com this is an organic conversation I'm Helge Helberg. we'll be right back with more this show is brought to you by Bowman College a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at one of their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentored distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or culinary arts, bowmancollege.org. And Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award winning wines at frywine.com. That's F R E Y W I N E.com. And thank you also to Earls Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. We are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Hellberg. We're speaking with the director, writer, and cinematographer, Sylvie Rokob of Love okay. Thy Nature. lovethynature.com, the website. She's joining us today from Los Angeles. The film is now available in its final cut version. Sylvie, thanks again for joining us. And you were talking about the integration for, right before the break. And it's fascinating to me because it's not it's not an idea. It's not a, a concept that just sounds beautiful, that everything in nature is interconnected and that nature writers have written about this for a couple hundred years. And it sounds like a you know beautiful idea. And yes, it's all kind of creation. It's actually literal, and what it's I'm real. what I'm talking about is the self-regulating capacity of the planet that uh, stuck with me, maybe because I'm German. But there was something so scientifically figured out on a planetary level. Can you describe that? How the uh, the planet has regulated its temperature in both directions throughout throughout the million billions of years at this point.
1: So. Uh um, James Lovelock, uh, with the work of Margulis, they basically were scientists, and he was a scientist that worked uh, with planetary systems for decades, and, uh, and she's a microbiologist. And together, they came up with this, at first it was called a hypothesis, that's called the Gaia hypothesis, and this was back in the 70s. And um, actually, they were ridiculed. By the scientific community. First of all, Gaia hypothesis sounds, you know, it's like the name of a Greek goddess, and it sounded like very esoteric and not scientific enough for the traditional scientific community. But it turns out that over the years, many other studies have been done that actually show that a tremendous amount of evidence that Earth does self-regulate, So that this self-regulation, what it means is that all of the different species, so it's kind of like the biosphere, as they call it, and the atmosphere and the geosphere with all of the mountains and the rocks, everything in collaboration actually creates the conditions that are conducive to life. And what are these conditions? It's basically, we need to have a certain range of oxygen, of nitrogen, of Hydrogen, we have to have a certain range of temperature on the planet. And so.
0: In fairly also narrow also margins, actually, right?
1: Very narrow margins, exactly, which it's like it makes you wonder it's like, wow, was this just a coincidence? And through Earth, Earth's history, those elements, those conditions remain constant within those ranges. And that's exactly what allows life to flourish brian swim who's a cosmologist and he's on the film as well he explains one of the studies that actually appears to be the one of the strongest evidences that there is a self-regulation mechanism on the planet and he basically says the sun used to be 25 percent cooler billions of years ago And back then, the Earth had all those heat-trapping gases. And over time, what happened was those heat-trapping gases started dissolving, and the planet actually had more oxygen. And so what happened was, because those heat-trapping gases were gone, as the sun was actually getting hotter, because there was more oxygen over time, the heat-trapping gases being gone allowed Earth to maintain its level of temperature that's conducive to life. And so you might think, well, if that were to be a coincidence, it's like it's like I heard somebody say it's kind of like having a you know, a print shop exploding and turning into the Webster Dictionary, <laughs> it's like it's a, it, <laughs> it seems like it's an amazing evidence.
0: You mean the color of an exploding regulation. print shop would, would come up with the exact, with an exact copy of the Webster's Dictionary? That's such a great analogy. I know.
1: <laughs> I thought it was a great analogy, too. It's like, you know, there's certain things that appear to be beyond coincidence, and that to me is one of them. I mean, when you think of it intuitively, it's like our bodies self-regulate, right? It's like when we get an infection, our temperature rises and our bodies sweat. We're not doing anything. Our bodies are reacting to an invading organism and it's finding ways to regulate itself. And I mean, it doesn't seem far-fetched to think that there's such a regulation kind of a system on planet Earth as well. And that's what scientists and, and, you know, the folks who are studying ecosystems and the planetary systems are actually coming up with really significant evidence. So the hypothesis actually was approved as being a theory by the Scientific Society of London, which was a big thumbs up to uh, this group of scientists after many decades of being (laughs) ridiculed or criticized
0: as so many, right? And when we said the earth is round, you were killed because it was flat. And we're speaking with Sylvie Rocop, the director, writer and cinematographer of Love Thy Nature. Sylvie, can you walk us through the film? First of all, it's narrated by Liam Neeson. How did he agree to do this? It's such a perfect voice to walk us through the beauty of of life. It's great, right? He, he, it's incredible. Amazing. Yes. I,
1: yeah, I, I mean, to this day, I'm like, pinch me. It's like he, I had a list of about 12 Narrators. actors, mm-hmm. celebrities, and I intuitively felt like he would be just perfect as the voice of Sapiens because he plays the voice character of the film is Homo Sapiens. This is our story, right? And so, you know, Liam has this amazing voice, but I also think he has that blend of strength and kindness. Mm-hmm. which I thought was just beautiful. And did, really did he just agree to
0: it because beautiful. he believed in it, or what's the, what's so the story loved, there? Give I, us the insight. I, I mean, he, insight. he
1: really liked the film. I showed him the rough cut at the time, and it was, you know, it, it, it had some glitches. It wasn't even really finished, but uh, he he said yes, and I got a, an answer from his voice actor saying that he was interested in doing it, so it was really... Tremendous gift to have had
0: him hmm. narrate. So you touched on the the story. It's Liam Neeson as Homo sapiens sapien, the wise one. That's what it's right. translated into, the wise species. And um, he doubly
1: wise. Doubly, doubly right? wise. Yes, sapiens yeah. sapien. sapiens. Sapiens sapiens. It's a subspecies. It's
0: doubly wise. And he's walking us through the film, wondering or asking. What our relationship to technology is, what our relationship to city life is, to what we are searching for, why we are here, yeah. much as you and I have already explored in this interview. And and then bringing us always back to nature to to approach these questions from that place, to come from a place of, of reverence in nature and origin, to look at our accomplishments from that vantage point and say what was good and or what is good and what is not good. Uh, or what needs to be r- refined but can can you walk us through the movie itself um sure. of what which stations are we are looking at and what can people expect
1: you know in terms of of Liam's role as the character of sapiens he goes through a actually a personal transformation through the film he starts off as very skeptical and defensive right because he gets to realize that You know, he's been doing some messing up and uh, goes through this journey of awakening to a realization. And then we explore all these different aspects. We explore the planetary systems like we were just talking about, but also our health, our physical health and our mental health and how, you know, we need nature to actually nurture us at a very intimate and personal level, give us a sense of wonder and well-being. And without giving it all away, basically, you know, the end of the film is an awakening, is a realization that's inspiring and uh, transformative uh, for, for many people. So in terms of where we're at, we basically use the film as a tool to bring communities together, to talk about this conversation, about the importance of connecting with nature, with each other, and even with ourselves because the film really looks, and that's why we have Love Thy Nature as a double entendre. Mm-hmm. It's the nature outside of us as much as the nature that's inside. In us. I mean, yes. We are, we are nature. <laughs> and so it's loving ourselves as being a part of nature. And so it was really, really important for us as a team to take the film and really make it available to communities all around the world. So we've had so far, since our last interview, <laughs> we've had nearly 300 screenings in theaters, in community venues, in about 140 cities in 16 countries. What's, and what's the response
0: you're getting? Like, is, uh, can you? Is it different between countries or even continents?
1: Interesting that I'm not really finding that it's that different. As even though you know people have different cultures, it seems like it's. It's a unified... Universal, universal. It's very universal. Mm -hmm. I just, at the top of my head, I had two young women who basically told me very similar things in two different countries. One was in Brazil. Uh, I screened the film at a college in Rio de Janeiro, and the other one was here in the States, in um, Richmond, Virginia. And they both said the same thing, that they felt the film really touched them deeply and made them realize they were going through a wrong path in their career. And this one woman in Brazil said she really wanted to go back to studying biology, and she had gone away from it because it was just too heartbreaking. She couldn't handle it, but she realizes she's, she absolutely loves it. That's what she's meant to do in this lifetime. And she was very moved when she shared it was very personal sharing. And this other woman basically said she really wants to take this path. So it seemed I was very inspired to hear two young women saying they really realize how much they want to be in the direction of ecology and nature studies and biology and all of that. But, but yeah, I'm finding that um, a lot of similar reactions across cultures, which is good because it's like this is the story of our species that's beyond culture, right? It's what unites us
0: all. Have you shown the film in so-called less developed countries where where the educational system perhaps is different than ours?
1: Yeah, I mean, I do think that it's, I mean, from the reactions I'm seeing, it's very clear to me that it is very much of an agreement around the world that our disconnection has gone too far. And Mm -hmm. the way people manifest this, oftentimes, you know, they take the film, even though there are a lot of messages that are, a bit scientific they are you know i mean there's data we we talk about elements that are information really they take what they take away is a sense of being moved by how much they want to have a deeper connection with nature and how much we are destroying it to a level that's like just completely unreasonable and crazy i think that that's that's the one thing that I hear audiences talk everywhere is how upset they are about how much we're destroying nature and also how they're realizing that they've really separated way too far.
0: So we're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you, where can people see the film and how can people support your work? And of course, what's next? What Are you are you traveling with the film for another couple of years before you take your, on your next project or have you already kind of focused in on on what's next you're doing such incredible important work and um yeah i don't want to already move away from this film by any means (laughs) but we are curious (laughs) of what sylvie will do next
1: it's you know it's interesting because that's the one question (laughs) i ask i hear people ask me the most is like what's your new film and i'm like wait which is right no it's this one this one is the new film yeah
0: (laughs) good for you yes
1: You know, but I understand, because it's like, you know, many filmmakers usually they like to like make, make sure that they have several films, one after the other. And to me, I feel I've been in in the industry for more than 20 years now, and I've worked in many projects, but I feel so strongly that this message needs to be out in a really powerful way and create a shift in consciousness. Around the world, that I feel that it's really important that I continue to take it out.
0: Good for you, and actually, it's there. You know, if you're a filmmaker, I understand the desire from the audience to to know. Because it is such important work, what you're working on next. But I completely hear your point that mm. a movie has a, a longer shelf life, especially this message, has an endless uh, shelf life of more than two years. Mm. And so I'm, I'm glad you actually are clear about stopping us in our tracks with that question and saying, mm. before I can feel that the movie has actually caused a major shift in our awareness, there's no need mm-hmm. for another one. This is it, right? This is all that yeah. ever needs to be said.
1: Thank you for saying that, Helgi. Yeah. My thinking is we really need this message now more than ever, and it's going to be increasingly needed. And so I really feel like even though we've been to 300 screenings, my intention is to take it to thousands of screenings as, as, you know, as fast as we possibly can. At the same time, we're releasing the film in digital, so it's very exciting. Earth Week, you know, basically we're releasing the film everywhere. And it's going to be in over 130 countries. People can watch it at home and they can watch it pretty much anywhere, really. So it's available now for home video use uh, through streaming, through downloading. And uh, it's very exciting. And at the same time, you know, I'm continuing, we're continuing, my team and I are continuing the effort of really wanting to have more community screenings because these conversations need to happen. Mm -hmm in venues where people are connecting with each other. Sure. We're also doing watch and do events where we actually watch the film and we go out on hikes or we encourage, you know, students to be planting organic schoolyards or cleaning up a beach. I mean we're doing a lot of like wanting to do events that relate to putting the film into action in our own lives. And so that's really what we're
0: up to. So all the information, and of course, even the streaming ability, is that all on lovethynature.com?
1: lovethynature.com.
0: Great. And And we uh, we do want to offer a a special for our listeners. If you want to stream lovethynature on lovethynature.com, I would love to offer uh, that code. It's AOC for an organic conversation, AOC15. And you get to watch the film at a special price for our listeners, AOC-15. Exactly. lovethynature.com. Right. Sylvie, good luck in your work, and I don't mean the next movie. I mean this very much, this very very movie. May it be shown in all 196 countries around the world (laughs) We that's so desperately cool. need to realize yeah. that, what you're saying, what you're reminding us of. Thank you for your work. Thanks for making thank the time. You. Again, that's Love Thy Nature, a beautiful reminder of the gift of life. Sylvie yeah. Rokop, director, writer, and cinematographer. And um, yeah, I will come to one of those. I'll look forward to great. seeing you soon. We would love to have you there. <laughs> <laughs> great, I mean, that's Sylvie. Great, great conversation. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much, and good luck. We'll have you back soon. Thanks. Take Alrighty. care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Sylvie Rokab, who joined us today from Los Angeles, California. One more time, the website is lovethynature.com, and the code is AOC for an organic conversation, AOC15. I'm Helge Helberg. This is an organic conversation, and we are staying with the topic of integrating nature into our lives, in this case, again, the food on our plate, the update from the World of healthy fruits and vegetables, the consumer segment of what to buy right now, what is in season, how to store it, how to eat it. Here is what's in season. And with us, as always, of course, the voice of the produce market, the San Francisco produce market, but really speaking for the country is Mr. Organic himself, Earl Herrick. Earl, are you with us? (laughs) Hello, Helga. (laughs) I see fresh vegetables coming slowly but surely. What is happening on the dock? What do you see as a really interesting product right now to focus on?
2: You know, there's so much going on this time of year. There's so many things we could choose on. What I wanted to focus on was the old adage, an apple a day. We've grown up, I mean, in America, to Johnny Appleseed, root sellers. There's always apples around, and through the technology allows us to have storage apples all year round. Uh, so apples in the northern hemisphere are picked in July, August, September, October, depending on the variety, and the early ones, don't store. They come and go in a matter of weeks. But the ones that store well, which would be a Granny Smith, a Fuji, a Braeburn, a, a Red or Gold Delicious, those are put in the controlled storage and then taken out of storage as they're needed, not unlike you would do if you had a cold storage underneath your house. So they're starting to run out, which is kind of planned obsolescence as you want them to. But what augments that? is this time of year, starting around April, we start getting uh, apples fresh from the southern hemisphere because they're a flip side of us. Our spring is their fall, so they have fresh apples of which we click right into the harvest, get them shipped up here in containers on a boat. takes about two weeks, and then you got fresh apples. They're the same varieties, just not as many of them. For example, you're going to see predominantly a gala, a Granny Smith, a Fuji, a Pink Lady. Those are, the one, those are the four or five varieties you're going to see. Whereas, you know, I would say at least 20 varieties are grown wherever you may be in the United States. So, what gets focused on are those main varieties because the Southern Hemisphere, think Chile and Argentina and New Zealand, they're shipping the apples all over the world. So, the storage apple is going to be more roughage. Kind of a, another component to whatever you're doing, whether it's a salad or or yogurt or cereal. The the fresh apple coming up is is not only going to be better tasting, but better for you. It's going to give you that fresh hit of a fresh fresh fruit again. There's circumstances going on here that you, we all want to be aware of. Anything coming out of storage, you want to keep refrigerated, absolutely, because it's coming out of a store a refrigerated storage. So think hibernation. Boom, if you leave it on your ambient temperature counter for two days, it's going to lose pressure, and it's going to, texture-wise, it's going to be mealy, it's not going to be what you want.
0: Because it's been, you know, it's technically eight months old, it just has been in this animation state and storage, uh, exactly. but it, was, it came off the tree eight months ago. How do you know, if yeah. you look at a stored apple from last fall, or a fresh product right now, in addition to yeah. the varieties, would the produce yeah. buyer know?
2: Yeah, generally, there, there, there absolutely should be signage that indicates so. And the, another way to understand is anything grown in the United States or Canada at this time of year is going to be out of storage.
0: Ah, good point.
2: So it should absolutely, most stores do that now. They will have signage, will say, Red Delicious, $1.99, USA, New Zealand, Argentina, Chile. Country now, of
0: origin or, exactly. you know, grown in Chile, whatever.
2: Now, if yeah. they don't. Again, engaging your produce person is what you want to be doing, and you, and you could say it would, it would really be helpful if I knew, and maybe that will prompt them to do it for everything, but at the very least you can ask. That produce person should know right away. That being said, the, the first varieties that, that come out of the Southern Hemisphere are, the, are not unlike the first apples that we get. It's the Gala. It's one of the first uh, universally picked apples, so there tend to be a softer texture apple. And that doesn't mean it's going to be mealy, but it is a softer texture. It's just the nature of that apple, and that's why it comes off this time of year. So I think it's always best to refrigerate a, a gala because it, it'll, it'll be that much more uh, assuring to be that nice, crisp bite that you want.
0: Thank you for helping us save money. <laughs> I don't know how you learned to navigate the entire world. We had just talked about apples, stored apples, for, for a few minutes, and I know you deal with, what, 200, 300 produce items a year?
2: Yeah, yeah, a little more than that. (laughs) So the one you want to look for right now is the Granny Smith and the Gala. Those are the two apples that if you find, you you know, those are the ones to buy. Those are the good ones uh, from the Southern Hemisphere. And you'll have a nice, crispy, high vitamin A, high in enzyme apple.
0: Nice. Thank you, Earl. Thanks for that weekly tip from the Produce Dark Life. Um, We'll have you back next week. Pleasure.
2: Great. Looking forward to it. (laughs) See you all.
0: And that was a big hour of An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg, all about nature and the beauty of this gift of life. Love Thy Nature, a new film or a film now in its final cut version. Love Thy Nature. And of course, the Consumer Update with Earl Herrick of What's in Season. I'm Helge Hellberg, and we'll be back with another episode next week. <music> That was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thank you so much for listening. A big thank you also to our associate producer, Kristen Ponger. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Equal Exchange, a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at equalexchange.coop and utterly offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Every garment reduces our eco-footprint by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Adelie, making sustainability fashionable and fashion sustainable. For more information, adelie.co. Also, Earls Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home or business. Are you a chef? Have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? Anyone can buy directly from Earls Organic at wholesale prices. The website is EarlsOrganic.com And Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine without synthetic sulfites or other preservatives. Family owned and operated since 1980. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award winning wines. For more information, frywine.com. That's F R E Y W I N E.com. Lastly, thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N-college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to anorganicconversation.com or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play so you'll never miss an episode. And for more information, health tips, recipes and your daily dose of inspiration, find us on Facebook and Instagram at An Organic Conversation and on Twitter at Talk Organic. I'm Helge Helberg, and we'll be back with another great episode right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then.